it was a really good time in my life. Um, it was actually just after we had um, backpacked throughout through Southeast Asia. We, we went on this backpacking um, kind of journey throughout Southeast Asia, just like during during the middle of the year during business. Um, we ran our business off our, our phones, and we just were like, "No, we we want to travel. We don't care about the business, really." Um, and it made us. It was like also quite an important point. It made us really appreciate um, how important um life was besides business if you know what i mean like and and what our real passions were businesses sure was a passion but the what business enabled us to do was our passion we it enabled us to travel and experience and you know travel traveling and, and and experience is the best thing anyone can do in their lives Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Outcome Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Schiff, and I thank you all for tuning in once again to join me on episode 10 of this particular podcast. I wanted to touch base and re or unsurface again the conversation which I had with the future female team, uh, episode 7 on The Outcome Podcast, not too long ago, and for a variety of reasons as well. Uh, just before jumping into what those reasons might be, I thought it'd be apt to give a bit of an introduction to who the Future Females team are, for those who don't know, and just to rehash a bit of what their mission is in the world. Uh, Future Females is a movement that exists to connect, inspire, and support current and aspiring female entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs to rapidly increase the number of and the success of these women. This is a remarkable platform that provides an environment more so now digitally, physically, as well as emotionally, where women as well as men can connect with each other and access the resources they need to succeed. The Future Females Movement was founded by Lauren Dallas and Serena Bezadenot in 2017. And by the time I'm sure you have listened to this recording, uh, it has grown to over 60 contributors, 3,000 global members, as well as 26 cities around the world. I have no doubt that that number has grown <laughs> almost exponentially by this time. During this terrific edition on the Outcome Podcast, uh, our conversation unpacked a bit more of what the Future Female Movement was about and where Lauren and her team found their niche in a world of entrepreneurship. Uh, we also spoke about how the movement engages with their community to create a safe space for women globally, opening up a place where each individual can feel vulnerable, give and receive feedback, as well as share wins and losses alike. This episode dug into some of the psychological frameworks behind women in entrepreneurship and some of the often recurring limiting mental as well as physical factors which were experienced and are currently experienced by these individuals. This episode was not just recorded to highlight the struggles, though, because my guests, Flora and Sasha at the time, were able to provide some great info on how in just over a few years, their business school, mentorship program, and more so now their online events, webinars and content have been used to combat the above factors. Personally, for me, this episode was unashamedly a massive milestone to record last year. And again, I'd like to thank the Future Females team for jumping on board. I hope that you enjoy the episode as much as what I enjoyed recording this. 
Joining me in conversation for episode 10 on the Outcome Podcast, I have Trent Pike, an exceptionally humble entrepreneur, travel enthusiast, and fellow inner peace seeker in the conversation. Trent has an exceptional story, highlighting not only some of his more recent life challenges and successes, but we actually took a trip down memory lane as I so often like to do and unpack much of where his current mental framework around past and present entrepreneurial successes has given him the experiences as well as the skill sets to guide sustainable and consciously minded business development today. In the conversation, you'll hear Trent, he sounds very cool, very chilled and very calculated in a lot of his responses, but do not let his tranquil demeanor fool you. This man possesses strong liberal beliefs in ethics and environmentalism, encompassing a triple bottom line approach to the value creation he brings to almost everything that he does daily. These were three specific topics which we dove a little bit deeper into in our chat. From dropping out of university, creating an exceptionally successful business venture with just 5,000 Rand in hand, being threatened by Instagram for perceived trademark violation, a beautiful awakening after reading the Tibetan book of living and dying, as well as visiting over 20 national parks whilst living out of a travel van in the US for three months, Trent and I went on an adventure through time, you could say. As co-founder of Millie Mailer, his more recent business venture, Trent and his team are looking to bring sustainable packaging solutions to businesses throughout South Africa. What is it that they offer or bring to the market? Well, Trent and his team bring a 100% compostable plastic alternative to traditional delivery sleeve fly bags that could remove up to 50 million single-use plastic bags every year from circulation. Just think about that number. He and his team are thought leaders in sustainability. The sequencing of carbon in these products, as well as plastic replacements, where their recent contribution to the South African initiative to end plastic waste has cemented their position in this. With the belief that the best way to save nature is with more nature, here is another conversation where I was absolutely transfixed. I must let you know that towards the middle and end of the episode recording, Trent and I did run into some technical difficulties where it sounds as if I am cutting Trent off completely in the middle of his sentence or towards the end of his sentence where during our recording, it did not seem to be the case. So if that does pop up and you do wonder what was going on, I do want to just apologize up front. It has been something that we tried to iron out, but uh, given the uh, sort of situation which it is, I hope that you understand and that when you um, do hear that come about, that you, it's, it's something that you will, if following the conversation, you'll be able to sort of pass on and at least hear where, where Trent picks up and where I stop asking those questions. Um, I hope that you enjoy. Please welcome Trent Pike. Good morning, Trent. How are you today? I'm great, man. How are you? Doing all right. Doing all right. Thank you so much for taking some time to, to jump on and uh, have this recording. Uh, first one that we're doing at distance. I know initially we were meant to be sitting in the same room. Uh, yes. With the yes. preparation together and we're all excited. And now all of a sudden, due to the lockdown in South Africa, unfortunately, we're having to do it remotely. But um, thank you for taking some time to, to jump no, on. Thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a surreal time to, you know, to be alive at the moment. Completely, hey. It's it's crazy. I was just just saying, um, we haven't yet killed anyone at home. Um, everyone, <laughs> everyone's got their space, and it's working out to be fine. Um, yes. 
So it's 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 challenging. It is, but it's also for well, the presidential speech last night. I think put things at ease for everybody as well. Um, yeah, I was, I was proud. I was proud to be South African last night. It yeah, was, yeah, it was great. Just an update of where we were. What four or five days into the lockdown? Yeah. Uh, she, how crazy was when he experienced when he uh, explained the guy coming back from Wuya being on like an eighty-one day lockdown? I, unimaginable. <laughs> Imagine eighty-one days of essential isolation. Like, what do you do with yourself? What do you do with yourself? And you're like, also, are these guys were at the ranch, uh, you know, in in, well, in the Polokwane or in Popo. Um, we often talk about it around the dinner table now. We think like, what would this period in history be known as? You know? Like, yeah. Would it be I like, actually hashtag lockdown or hashtag lockdown? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a twenty twenty. Um, I think I read an article which defined and the guy, the author tried to define um, the generation kind of born into this whole into the world after coronavirus or during this um, coronavirus as Generation C, okay. and how the when you when you look back back on history, the world will all be defined as pre coronavirus and post coronavirus. Why? And, and pre-coronavirus will be business as usual, frenetic pace of life, getting stuck in traffic jams, commuting to work, um, you know, education at schools. And post will be hopefully, you know, if, if we have kind of, he said, if we have the courage to, to kind of see this through, but it'll be defined as, you know, a better work-life balance, um, and a, a less of a separation for, for, for children and and parents. I think yeah. parents will be more involved with their children because children will most likely distance learn more than more than not, and potentially even equalizing you know a lot a lot of things. Education, one of them with distance learning. Um, so I thought that was a super interesting article. And please share that after this. I would love to we'll do across my we'll network and get a good read. That's um. It puts things in perspective, hey. It's it's really um it, it really I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess we were we were chatting about this in fact last night as well. It's kind of like I guess where where I'm based and located at the moment, I'm I'm privileged in the sense that I am in a home, I'm in an area that is it's relatively safe, it's it's very quiet and you are often hear the odd skipping rope kind of going by, but it's it's nothing yes. like it's it's nothing like too intrusive and there's a lot of awareness and there's a lot of sort of know and knowledge about what's actually sort of happening as opposed to some other areas where from what i've read and seen it's, it's just not quite the same not but it's almost, same like, all, yeah. it's almost quite like how the pandemic has shifted over the, even over the last five days or four days being in lockdown where as opposed to it being the concern around a health implication like this is a virus that could literally kill you that we haven't yeah. yet run the vaccine for it's now more or less around the Oh, I'm at home for a couple of days, and it's cramped, and it's uh, yeah. we're worried about the markets, and we're worried about obviously our employment post yes. lockdown, and small businesses are obviously struggling a bit. Um, so it's like there's a there's this there's this period that of of like mindset shift that happens. I, I don't know. I guess I don't know how you feel, but and it almost becomes diluted in a way like what's actually happening in the world if you're not reading up and you're not seeing the death rates and you're not yeah. keeping in touch with how quickly it's spreading you very quickly just become like again this is the norm you, you're this in the norm. Norm. you have like yeah. a routine yeah you're not necessarily influenced by it unless you go to the shops and now you have to have the mask and the mask mm. yeah well you know humans are you know we're we super adaptive and i think everyone's trying to make the the best of of the current situation um 
but talking about you know the difference in privilege i i work with a guy who lives in the Bay township mm-hmm. and he said something so small to me i phoned him you know on after the president announced lockdown and i was like are you going to be okay you know do you, do you need anything and he he said no no of course not he's not such a nice guy but you know we spoke about kind of stocking up and on on certain essentials and he's like he can't stock up first of all the president announced um the speech before payday or the lockdown before payday and basically most guys who live in informal settlements live hand to mouth so they don't get paid they, they don't have save save that money that they can you know quickly just use um and then and or dip into savings and then secondly he doesn't have a fridge or doesn't have a big enough fridge so how does he stock up on on food and and you know we have the privilege of maybe going to the shops once a week or once every two weeks he has to go every day or every second day um so then you you watch on the news and you see people not obeying the rules but that's not a necessity it's mm. not just you know a lot of people are watching that thinking you know we're doing our part why aren't they doing their part mm. but it's actually just a matter of privilege at the end of the day, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I reckon there's there's so much we can chat about, you know, that exact topic, which yeah. maybe we can we can come back to towards yeah. the, the end of our conversation. But uh, to to give this more uh, towards you, Trent, thanks so much for for taking the time. Um, I really wanted to chat with you, and I think the the way in which we were introduced is quite unique. Um, yes. Um, you reached out to us and wanting to share a message around Millimela and a bit more about yourself, which we will dig right into um, maybe a little bit later. But I, I actually wanted to start with a topic which we were briefly discussing pre-recording, um, yeah. chatting about morning routine. And yes, yes. Given the time that we're in at the moment and, you know, just sort of trying to keep saying, it sort of dovetails into a little bit what we're talking about now, the, the privilege of just having things somewhat normalized. Um, yes in the situation that we're in. Um, you were telling me a story about the difference between monks and normal people and uh, what they go through, what they experience having cold showers. Could, yes. you, could you just uh, rehash and relive that moment again, please? Sure thing. So, you know, we were talking about, we both take cold showers. Um, I think it's, it's, it's a great thing to do. I know some of the most successful people on the planet, you know, do ice baths and stuff. It, it's so, so good at, you know, shocking your body awake. Um, and the story of the of the monks and the and the normal people and commas normal people um, or people who don't practice meditation is they did this um, this study or this kind of test where they, they they took a group of monks or practicing monks and they took a people a group of normal uh, I'm gonna call them like civilians instead of normal people um, <laughs> and the civilians they the experiment basically consisted of them um, being being kind of connected up to a, a, a shock device and being shocked, and then they they the point was they had their their brains kind of being measured for brain activity, and for the civilians, um, they hooked these people up and said, "Look, we we're going to shock you within the next you know two minutes. It could could happen at any point, but we're going to shock you, and we we basically measuring how your brain responds to this." And as soon as these these people were hooked up and told that they were going to be shocked, on the on the chart or on the graph of of pain, you you immediately kind of saw it start rising. It's it had this gradual increase in pain just from anticipation of the sh- of the shock. Then when they were shocked, it you know obviously spiked to its maximum shock level, let's say a hundred, and then over the next minute or two, it slowly you know declined. It was also quite a, a gradual decline. So if you looked at the the graph, it was like a hill, like a big um, concave, concave hill, convex hill. 
<laughs> forget my maths from school. <laughs> then um, for the monks, it was a completely different story. They told the monks the same thing. Um, you know, we're going to shock you um, within the next two to three minutes. We're not going to tell you when, but we're going to shock you. And the monks, you know, they sat there and their graph was flat, completely flat. Then they were shocked, one straight line up to 100, and then an immediate drop down um, with no anticipation and no post-trauma you know pain at all which i think is such an incredible um illustration of what it means to be present and and only to be present Mm. not thinking about the past not thinking about the future and not worrying about the past and not or not worrying about the future and not dwelling on the past Mm. and i think that's kind of that that was kind of the point of this study um just to kind of illustrate the difference in how your life can be if you are 100 present versus not living in the moment and like i said dwelling on the past and and worrying about the future yeah and i suppose linking that to i mean why i mentioned the obviously the shower part is that you know as we're going slowly into winter and the anticipation yeah. of the, the cold shower crashing down into your body as you open the tap um is, yeah. can sometimes be daunting enough but you don't want to shower for a couple of days um <laughs> exactly there's obviously good merits in that and there's i think variety of health the benefits as well, especially for men I've read. Um, yes. And, you know, we share the same sentiments. Although I've never had that, um, never read or never heard of that experiment, that study, uh, it's definitely something which I've adapted to over the last couple of years, in fact. In fact, I don't remember a time where, uh, or I don't remember when I started it, but it's one of those things where it's like it becomes so part of the, the routine and it just feels, yes. so, now it feels so good and normal. And um, natural, yeah. I, I'm interested to hear a little bit more about how you got, how you got into that that sort of topic um more maybe around like presentism or being present, being um, present. Is, is that something that you sort of actively try to include within your day or is it just is it just something you sort of stumbled across uh, across um, um i think with i think definitely it was an active an, an active kind of thing with with most I've been known my whole life, let me just go there, to be completely stuck in my head. Um, I'm always in my head, or always was in my head. And I I kind of took it as a point of pride when I was younger. You know, I'm always thinking. I'm never really, really present. Um, and, you know, I do, I think all the time, um, as do, as does, as does everyone. But, you know, any interaction is, you know, you're almost, you're almost analyzing and you're thinking and, you know, you're not really there. Um, and this is a big kind of thing that my ex-partner brought up that I was, you know, always thinking, even when we were traveling to beautiful places, you know, it was like, we had that the most beautiful, um, scene you can, you can imagine or the most beautiful vista. And I'm just in my head thinking about the next business idea about the book I read and I'm not actually appreciating that beauty. And I started realizing that I, I didn't like myself for that. Um, how can I be, be in nature and not actually be fully, um, appreciating what the privilege I have been, being there. And so I took it upon myself to really try. And that's when it started to be conscious, um, about the beauty I was seeing and the experiences I was feeling. Then when I got back, back to South Africa, I kind of delved into into Eastern philosophy, a lot of um, Buddhism, a lot of um, just spiritual learning. And I read a book, I told you before, the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying. 
and it just put into perspective um, life and death and a, a philosophy which was so foreign to me. You know, we um, South African. I went to an all boys school, a Western school. Um, I follow. I've been brought up as a Western, a Westernized um, person, and then you. It's like a, a philosophy which has got so much truth to it. I couldn't find much fault in in what they were saying. Um, and obviously, I think the goal of anyone is to is to be happy. Mm. Um, and the whole journey about being present was was this pursuit of of more of happiness, of of calmness, of of clarity in my life. Um, being such a heavy thinker um, is can be anxiety inducing as well. You know, you, you're always worrying, you're always worrying, and it was not something I liked. Um, so yeah, I think my my journey towards being present was definitely a travel thing, yeah. which progressed into a lot of reading and education on a philosophy, which was which was foreign to me. Yeah. So you you mentioned living and dying, which we we spoke about last time, and how at, at that time there are just certain things in life I think that hit you at the sweet spot when you need it. Yeah. And it could be a book, it could be a podcast, it could be a new person in your life. Um, exactly. I've had a variety of like little gems happen to me as well, and. It's just so profound. Like you almost can't imagine your life pre that moment in a way. And, yes. and I, I love this because I think we spoke for about like 30 minutes around living and dying alone. Last time. We did. We did. Yeah. Which was cool. But I, I, is there, is there any other, um, what, what other resources or what other like, ways of sort of slowing down or, um, things did you have, did you go through to, to, to try and be more, that present to try and chase that that happiness um you you mentioned last as well um you have been very big into your meditation yes uh, maybe we can sort of gear the conversation towards that if that helps my poorly framed question <laughs> no it's, it's it's a great great question it's a great question you haven't I, I got what you were saying um but yeah meditation um is probably the most profound thing i've, I've ever come across it's the thing that's changed my life the most actually. Um, and you know, I started meditation. I started, you know, I read, I read on the internet, how do you meditate? And I, you know, and that, then I read this book and I was like, you know, how do you meditate? And everyone subscribes all these different techniques. It's like, you get overwhelmed. It's like some people say, focus on your breath. Other people say, control your breathing and focus on your breath, which is completely different. Um, one is natural. One is, you know, a little bit unnatural. Other people say, Put a, a, a deity or, or or focus on some on on some sort of picture. Other people say recite a mantra, and and I was like, well, whoa, what's going on here? Yeah. So I wanted to find kind of a pure form of meditation. Um, and in my research, I came across vipassana, and I, I spoke about this with you um, about a ten day um, silent meditation, and and that's kind of was a key catalyst in my life towards meditation and towards a quieter life and towards a happier life. And basically the 10 days of silent meditation, it's 10 days of silence. Um, and silence is more than just talking. It's 10 days of minimal interaction with, with anyone. Um, that includes um, looking at anyone, um, making eye contact. Um, basically the point is to, to almost act as if you are alone on the, on the planet, there's no one around um, at all, and you focus on on the practice of vipassana. And vipassana, from what from what I've read and from what, what I've researched and been exposed to, is 
almost the foundation of most meditations. It's it's the meditation technique that Buddha himself, the, well, the first Buddha, actually practiced in India two and a half thousand years ago, and it's it's a completely secular practice, which I really really liked. I don't like the idea of of kind of um, any sort of group, religious or um, political, where they exclude based on differences in beliefs or thoughts um, or or just at physical attributes. Um, so the Fear Passion is completely circular and this 10-day course was just so life-changing. Um, it was tough. It was one of the most most painful things I've done, physical pain, emotional pain. Okay, um, but I came you, out of... Can you, can you like... Sorry, I'm, I'm just trying to... I'm trying to put myself in your shoes or understand yeah. the things lack thereof shoes. Um, <laughs> like, what, what, why? Is it... Is it because perhaps in today's day and age that we, I'm, I'm assuming here, correct me if I'm wrong, but because we don't know how to slow down for even an hour, 10 minutes at a time, that being still for 10 days is just, it, it just really tough, as you say. What, what makes it so physically and emotionally challenging to, to do that? Yeah, yeah. so um, I think, and I was actually thinking about this last night, um, we we go through life, you know, we, we, we pride ourselves in being super intelligent, you know, people, humans as a, as a race, um, as a species, super intelligent, you know, we, we are above everything else. Um, and we above everything else because we have conscious thought um, and we have free will and we can make decisions unlike other animal species or, or, so, or so we think. And actually we go through life making, just reacting basically um, to situations, you know, you wake up in the morning um, and you stub your toe and that sets you off. And then you, based on that, you break your mug because you're in a bad mood and then you get in your car and someone cuts in front of you and you start swearing and shouting at this guy in the car. You get to work, you're angry, you send an angry email to a client, etc. You know, it's just kind of this reaction upon reaction upon reaction with, with no slowdown in thought. Um, so while we, we think we're super conscious and we think we are thinking and we, we always making big decisions, we, we not really in our, in our day to day, when you, when you take 10 days of silence, um, or 10 days of, of inner, of inner focus, there are no, um, situations to, to set off those reactions. So you can't just kind of let life just take you. You have life, life has now almost stopped and you probably for the first time in your life have free will of what, of, of where your thoughts are actually going and what, and what your next 10 minutes, next hour is actually going to be. And it's, and for, for me, I think, yeah, the act of slowing down. Yeah. We, we never slow down. Um, we always have a phone, you know, five meters away distracting us they say if, you know if your phone's on your table your your brain capacity decreases by like i forgot, forgot the percentage but like 15 percent. you suddenly 15 percent less engaged in, in actually what you on what you do just by having a phone in your vicinity um there's always something there's always someone to talk to there's always something something to look at um there's always something to keep our brains occupied um and 10 days of silence in wearing you know you wear clothes which are completely neutral you in a building which has got no pictures no distractions um and the whole point is that there's nothing there's nothing external that you can use to kind of use as a crutch through through 10 days um and i think 
we use life's distractions as a crutch to get through life. And yeah, slowing down just kind of brings us back to, mm. yeah, I don't know you if I'm explaining this well. I'm, no, I'm struggling, you've actually. You've got me entranced, and I think the only thing, that I, not the only thing, but one of the things that immediately comes to mind is, um, yeah, I can understand now the sheer difficulty, and I'm, I can relate to the sort of the, the being on all the time and the distraction all the time. Um, yeah. And I, I was just, the, I guess the question I was trying to, to formulate, which is why you were listening to you, was like, what, what is it that you experienced? And if I had to go through the same thing, like step for step at the same time as you, how interesting is it that you might come out of the 10 days feeling one thing and I might come out of the day, the 10 days feeling another thing, but yet we had the same experience. I, I, I'm just, yeah. I was like thinking about like, what does, I wonder what someone else, if they had to go through the same thing, uh, are they also chasing a sense of like being present or is it a, is it a sense of, uh, collective calmness so that in their day-to-day day 11 they now know that you know life goes back to being at home with the phone and with getting to work but now they have a, just a completely yeah. different perspective on how to react quite literally how to react yeah have you found that you like since returning that you've been able to like maintain that sense of stillness or being present since returning from your professional experience Obviously, it's a it's a daily struggle, um, and we we always learning and always improving. You know, I'm going to look back in five years or in a year, one year or in six months and be like, yeah, six months ago, you you were, you're an idiot, Trent. You know, <laughs> like what 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 those thoughts you were thinking, the way you're acting. You know, I can't believe. You know, that's that's what happens throughout our whole life. Um, but in terms of of so the different experiences, actually, there was a guy there who was only there because. His fiance said, if you don't do this course, I'm not going to marry you because it was so, made such a difference in my life. I wanted to make such a big difference. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure, exactly. But, you know, this, this guy, um, such a nice guy, like really, really nice guy, but he didn't embrace the practice at all. He didn't want to be there. He wasn't ready to be there. That's be a choice you make. So his experience was where, where mine was 10 days of maybe pain, but it was self-inflicted pain. It was, pain with a, with purpose and it and it was a beautiful experience i look back and so i'm so fond fond of the time he hated it <laughs> he told us afterwards like this is the worst thing i've ever done <laughs> i didn't want to be a, i did it for my fiance <laughs> and he didn't actually get anything out of the out of the experience right he, he spent 10 days almost wasted because um he he actually brought um, crosswords with him and he was doing crosswords in his room and stuff which also goes against the philosophy um my point being, um, with Vipassana, you, you, it has to, or with anything in life, it has to be your choice, and you have to be, you have to be ready to, to embrace it. Um, it needs to be the correct timing, as, as in anything. But then back to your point about um, kind of day to day living. The change has been massive. Um, I'm so conscious about what I'm doing. I can't, and it's quite a shame. I can't watch anything on TV without feeling, for feeling guilty, of of my, of my time, of my time wasted. Um, I've, it's not about always being productive and always learning, but it's about doing really wholesome things. Um, when I, when I do something, I'm acutely aware of, of what the, um, kind of outcome will be. I know if I drink too much coffee, for example, such a small example, if I drink two cups or drink three cups in the space of an hour, I'm going to feel sick in, in, in throughout the whole day. 
Um, and it might seem like nothing, but before my Vipassana, I drank two, three, four, five cups a day, always feeling sick, but never kind of linking the two. Mm. What meditation slowing down does is it, 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 it allows you to create these links that you didn't, you didn't see before, um, to everyday things. And I think, you know, that's the biggest lesson, um, is, is kind of the, the causal link linkages you can, you, you see every day. And then once you know they're there, you're actually able to make change. Knowledge is power. If you don't know what's, if what's causing you, you to feel a certain way, how yeah. can you ever change? Um, and slowing down actually lets you figure out the underlying cause of something and therefore you yeah. can make the change. Yeah. That's, um, uh, I'm reading this book by Daniel Gilbert called Stumbling on Happiness, which I'm absolutely in love with. Yeah. Uh, and what you're saying resonates so, uh, just so profoundly with me. I, I read a passage last night, in fact, that said, uh, he said that once you, exactly, so once you're aware of something, once you experience a certain emotion or a feeling or an experience, you can never unfeel it or unsee it. You might remember what it, how it made you feel in that time, but the experience could never quite be the same again, even if you did it the second time, the same way, for, yeah. word for word, foot after foot. You could, you could never experience it the same way, but then you could, you could also never not imagine have, not having that experience because you've gone through it. Um, and I guess the, yeah. the, the relation to what you're saying is like, it, I suppose I can understand, like the minute you're aware of how you're feeling or you're noticing perhaps who you once were or what used to be a trigger, uh, and now you sort of have the power, you're armed with the, the tools to like just, just breathe. Um, it's, yes. it's, it must be quite powerful. And I guess everyone kind of goes through it in their own small, like repassionary way in life. Uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> break that one might take is the, their version of grounding themselves. And, um, is there anything in particular that you do now? Like you mentioned, obviously, just being aware, but out of that practice that you had, um, before the 10 days, what is your, uh, either your evening routine, or if you find yourself becoming flustered because we are humans and we're living in very challenging times, what is it that you physically do to just to, to like ground yourself or, or, or create that yeah. awareness? Um, so, so my morning routine, um, I, I, I try and have routine, um, I, Routine's a funny thing. Um, routine for me is not doing um, the same things every day or the same things in unison every day. It's not because for me, I've, I've, I've always struggled with that. I've always found like, cool, I can, I can keep up a routine, wake up at, at six o'clock in the morning and do something until 7.30, um, Monday to Thursday, and then Thursday have a late night and then my routine's messed up, you know? And, you know, as humans, we, we, we try so hard to control things that we can't control. Um, but so when you, when, when I think of routine, I more think of, um, how that, how a routine makes me feel or how a certain a sequence of, of pre-planned, um, um, activities, you know, makes me feel. So I, I meditate as often as I can. Um, I try and meditate morning and night. Um, but sometimes I don't meditate in the morning and I meditate in the afternoon. Sometimes I don't meditate for a whole day and I meditate, you know, the next day once or the next day for double the amount of time. Um, meditation. Yeah. 
is what I do every, it's like what I try and do every day. It's especially on a busy, busy, crazy day. Um, it's, you know, um, they say you read, you read articles. Sorry, I'm going back and forth with different ideas in my head. You read articles about how good sleep is for you. Um, and sleep is so good for you because it gives you, your brain the time to, to reset and process. And when you are awake, your brain's um, kind of creating all these, um, they're not toxins, but they're these, it's kind of waste that your brain produces as you, as you think and as you go about your day. And basically sleep allows your brain to kind of get rid of these toxins. Um, I'm using the wrong yeah. terminology. So if someone who knows brains, <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think you're doing it right. Don't yeah. worry. <laughs> um, so when I used to, feel very flustered in the day I'll be overwhelmed but with decisions I used to actually micro nap and like right. five minutes um and I used to just fall asleep because I'm really good at falling asleep five minutes wake up and suddenly I felt so much better and I was like cool micro napping is the way then you know did my meditation and the premise is exactly the same I was on the right path I was on the right idea which is giving your brain a time giving your brain the time to consolidate and reset um because we are overwhelmed um with micro stress stresses, as you as you brought up earlier, um, so with the whole meditation, um, meditate as often as I can before important things. Like I meditated before we had this conversation, um, meditate before any sort of any any sort of meeting, um, and just as soon I, I know my body relatively well, so. I meditate when I need to meditate. Um, if that makes sense. Um, then with obviously sleeping, that's probably another thing of my daily routine. I try and sleep for seven and a half hours. Just at least. before you sort of veer off of that, it, I'm curious to know your, 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 your act of meditation. Is it, I'm trying to imagine you, is it the act of sort of sitting upright, eyes closed and visualizing yeah. what's about to come or what's happened? Or is it more, uh, so, and as you alluded to earlier, focusing on breathing or controlling your breathing, what is that? I understand obviously meditation is very personal, but what is your particular practice? So, uh, when I meditate, I, I follow the Vipassana practice primarily, but like I said, I meditate when I need to. So, if, if um, for example, I'm grappling with some sort of idea or some decision for business, um, and I grapple those a lot because I am someone who struggles to make decisions because I I worry that it's the wrong decision, you know, sure. as we all do. Um, and the only way to kind of um, have confidence in anything is is research, thought. Um, and I, if a big decision is on my mind, I'll sit down for up to an hour, you know, on my mat back up straight in the correct posture and the correct posture is important because it allows energy to your body to kind of function correctly and the energy to kind of flow. And I, and I think for an hour on that point, no distractions, no phone to distract me, no emails to distract me. It's just what decision am I going to make? I think through every sort of outcome I can. And I come to decision normally after, after that, that period of meditation, um, that's normally like if I have an afternoon meditation, that's not what the meditation is about. In my evening and morning, you know, routine, it's a Vipassana practice and it's a, it's a practice which has a couple, 
couple stages or, or two two primary stages. One is the focus on breath, and the other is the actual vipassana technique. And the focus on breath is something I do when I'm struggling with the vipassana technique because the vipassana technique is is quite um, difficult, um, especially if your mind's not calm. It requires a, it requires you to be present um, in your brain to. Yeah, it requires you to be present. The, the breathing is a little bit easier because it's something that's naturally occurring. But the whole, but I don't, I don't um, control my breath. Um, the point of the of vipassana and the premise behind this kind of idea of 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 their of of their meditation technique is to not control um, and to let things flow naturally. Um, so I focus on my breath as is. Um, and then if your passion is you, you do the technique, which is kind of sitting down, you go up and down your body and you try and um, feel any sort of sensation on your skin, um, even, you know, inside eventually, inside your body eventually, which sounds super crazy and far and I haven't got there yet, but um, that's where you want to get. You want to be able to, to sit down and basically be so entirely present that you can feel every sort of... Um, yeah, I have to go deeper. I have to yeah. explain. Sorry, before I explain that, um, with they say if you go down to a subatomic level, you know our bodies are just made out of, made out of atoms. Um, and if you looked at a room or looked at anything at a subatomic level, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between a lamp and a desk and a wall and a person. It all looks exactly the same. It's all just at atoms essentially, um, and all of those atoms are in constant flux. They are um, coming into being and disappearing and coming into being and disappearing. It's, you know, it's just energy. Um, so when you sit down doing Vipassana meditation, the point is for you to actually get to a level of mind where you can actually just feel those atoms bursting into existence and disappearing from the existence. And, it's, and the point is it speaks to our impermanence and every, every millisecond and every milli, milli, millisecond um we exist and we don't exist and and we are reborn sure you know every, sure. all the time yeah. yeah um so that's the point you want to get to this point where you can just focus on your body and just feel these it's basically just i felt it before not not my whole body at once and not not to the full extent as that i want to but you feel these it almost feels like pins and needles wow. over your whole body it's just it's like beautiful flush of energy and it's it's indescribable almost and you have yeah. to experience it yourself so yeah. the reason i i'm so pressing on the just the, like, the meditation and just understanding a little bit more is um the first time we had a conversation and in the bit of preparation and obviously for our conversation today um i i read something that that i came across around um you had this you had this period in life we were placed about sort of four or five years ago 2015 where after watching a documentary, uh, I think it was Cowspiracy, in fact, you have, you went through this period Correct. of like this excessive consumption of information now. And it's like, you're, that for a person yeah. who has a busy mind, maybe back then and sh struggled to slow down, to then even go into more of like this frantic, that there is a calling in a way where I, I need to adhere to it and I want to, I want to learn more about it and then I want to do something about it is, is, you know, an experience. Yeah. Now you're sort of balancing that the act of slowing down and trying to be present. I just find that like an incredible experience um, to, to listen to. 
I'm hoping that to, to take a slight segue, we can go back to maybe that period, 2015, um, and what that particular documentary did for you. And the reason I'm asking is that I think it's going to lead quite nicely into a little bit more about Millie Mailer, which we'll chat about in a moment. But um, can you sort of take us back to 2015? What was the, was it the experience of watching Cowspiracy that sort of had a profound impact on you the same way as reading Living or Dying did? Or was it more like a, was it more like a conscious decision? Like, you know, I, I need to go cold turkey and I just, it just has to be done. And that's it. Like that's the decision movement. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a good question. Um, so I was, I was on a, I was on a, as I've said to you before, I've always cared deeply about the environment. I've always cared a lot about um, people and, and the planet and stuff. And my ex-partner, she she was vegan. And, you know, watching her kind of be the way she was and not eat animals and, and be fine um, was was always so um, enlightening to me. I was like, well, I've just always you know, eating meat, we know South African brine every Sunday, et cetera, et cetera. It's so normal. Um, and it was, it, it was the start of me question, of questioning something that, that just seemed the normal. And, and, you know, that's dangerous when we, we, when we think things are normal and we normalize things, that's when inaction occurs. And that, that's actually when really bad atrocities occur. We look at, you know, slavery back in the day, everyone thought that was normal. So it was okay. You know, we look at racial seg- segregation and a lot of people just thought that was, that was normal. And then, you know, we committed all those 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 heinous crimes. Um, on a smaller note, um, obviously, um, watching Cowspiracy was just a documentary that came up. It it, it was about the environment um, and animal agriculture, and I was like, you know, this is something I want to learn about. Thinking, cool, I'm gonna watch it yeah. and you know go about my normal life. <laughs> um, watched it, and I think the message was just so clear. Um, I've always been someone who's who's thought. The, in, the, the individual actions we make are so small and inconsequential that what's, you know, what's the point? What's the point of volunteering? What's the point of donating anything? Because your action is so small, you know, some, sometimes forgetting about the, how, how big collective action is and how it's, a, it's actually the things that cause the most change. Um, but watching Cowspiracy, you know, it was empowering. It, 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 it made you realize that the small, a small individual action has insane consequences. Um, I, they, they, I can't remember the, the kind of the stats right now. It was a long time ago that they kind of equated you not eating meat or not drinking milk for one whole year equaled X amount of animals' lives that you saved every year. And I was like, whoa, I'm actually responsible for, I don't know, maybe a hundred, a hundred animals a year. Let's say I'm responsible for a hundred animals a year that die because I choose to exist in a way that that requires them to die for me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, I don't need to, I don't need to do that. I don't need to be responsible for a hundred deaths. Um, and you could say that that point was actually everything I spoke about previously about meditation and about everything else. That point was possibly the starting point of all of that because the whole, the whole point of, of all of this is, is to do no harm and, and to be kind. Um, so Cowspiracy was just this enlightening moment and it was because of the way they framed it where they actually quantified the difference you would make by choosing to kind of just change your diet. And ultimately, not everyone can change their diet. It's, it's, a, it's a privilege to be able to do that. 
Um, you've got to be able to cook for yourself. You've got to be able to understand nutritional values. You've got to be able to afford supplements and vitamins and stuff and the correct foods. And unfortunately, often healthy foods are more expensive than um, unhealthy foods. But knowing that I had the privilege to do that and then choosing to to just go ahead and, and, not, and not do it, just go ahead and eat a cheeseburger because I like the taste, didn't compute with, with my sense of morals. And I was like, I can't. And that's kind of, that was conspiracy. It was a cold turkey decision. As soon as I watched it, I was like, no, not watching it again. It it happened on the um, 28th of September, another day. It, it's like, it's a day that will, yeah, like like my meditation, it'll will, it will always kind of be a defining, yeah. defining point. And it's so, there's obviously tons of those yeah. types of documentaries that are there to create awareness and I think really importantly Awareness. what they do really, really well is um just like the just like the last the latest one, Game Changers, um, which focused on obviously mostly athlete performance, yes. being vegan and vegetarian. Um, I think what they these things are really, really good for is that it creates uh conversation, which ultimately which ultimately leads to some form of yes. consciousness. Again, tying back into that awareness around you might not necessarily agree. You might not necessarily understand it per se. It might be biased, so you, you you don't have a frame of reference. But what it is doing is that now all of a sudden it, it's got yeah. us talking about it, and it's got a community chatting about it, and it's it's got people questioning. You know, it, it's the one question now someone's asking: What does that actually mean, or why does this, why do I feel weird about what I just saw, read, heard, or what you're saying? And that's, I, yes. I think those are the reasons that these type of documentaries, if anything, they, they're really good at achieving. Um, and ultimately it comes down to the consumer to make that decision, um, to, to, to adhere to it or to make the change or not. But yeah, I guess those, those things are powerful. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's education ultimately, right? Um, education is leads to all, has led to all change. In the, in the whole world, you know, education has yeah. led to the biggest revolutions. Um, so I think as a, as a documentary, you, you, it's so powerful because you, you're educating. And it, like I said, when you understand causal links, which is education, you, you can actually start making yeah. change in your life yeah, and in other people's lives. Um, so yeah. post watching that, um, you had gone vegan and, yeah. and you had this, this sort of consciousness now that you wanted to make a difference. What what are the next couple of places where you were in life at that time? Uh, were you studying? Was this amidst your travels? Where in like where in life were you? I was living in Australia at that point. Um, my previous business um, with with my then partner um, Georgie, um, we, it was called Instalens. We had we were running it from Australia. Um, it was doing incredibly well. Um, hence the, I guess, the yes. time to watch a documentary. <laughs> um, and it was just before we actually um, g- gave up the company um, and went traveling. Um, so it was a, it was a really good time in my life. Um, it was actually just after we had um, backpacked throughout through Southeast Asia. We, we went on this backpacking um, kind of journey throughout Southeast Asia just like during during the middle of the year during business um we ran our business off our, our phones and we just were like no we we want to travel we don't care about the business really <laughs> um and it made us it was like also quite an important point it made us really appreciate um how important um life was besides business if you know what i mean like 
and, and what our real passions were. Businesses, sure, was a passion, but the what business enabled us to do was our passion. We it enabled us to tra- travel and experience, and you know, travel traveling and, and and experience is the best thing anyone can do in their life. So you know, just after my Southeast Asia backpacking trip, and just before um, it, just before two years or a year and a half of of con- constant travel. So there's a there's a like a yeah, no, you opened up a can of worms, yeah. Because you mentioned you mentioned a buzzword or a couple <laughs> of buzzwords that I just get absolutely like get up for when I when I hear them. And one of those is traveling, the next yeah. is backpacking. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I I am I'm, I'm fascinated here. Firstly that you were able to at the uh, at the time run a business off your phone whilst backpacking through South, Southeast Asia. I think it's, it's like, it's, it's an experience not many can relate to, maybe fantasize and, and, and hope for, yeah. but not really relate to. And then you <laughs> go and travel for two to three years. I think if I remember correctly, last we spoke as well, a bit of that traveling included you living out of a van. In fact, um, what, yes, firstly, yes. Let's, for those that just don't know, what, what were you doing that allowed you to have that lifestyle? What was the business? What is Instalens? So, so Instalens was it was a super simple business. It um, it was a business that basically um, we sold lenses for your for your smartphone. So they were fisheye lenses, macro lenses, polarizing lenses, telephoto lenses, and they stuck onto any phone. So whether it was an iPhone or whether it was an Android, they, they went onto the phone um, and basically enhanced your camera. Now this is before we had dual cameras or before we had. Yeah three cameras on the back of the phone. And this is kind of just as Instagram, Instagram was becoming quite a big thing. It was in, influences. The word influencer was slowly entering kind of societal consciousness um, and filter, filters and stuff. You know, this is, this is when Instagram didn't have stories and Instagram had a, a yeah. time, a chronological timeline, you know, back in the day, you know, should people listen to me like, what, what is that even, you know? And it's so long ago, um, but we hit, we hit, and we were lucky. Ultimately, we worked hard, we worked extremely hard, but we, it was all about timing and, and, and luck, luck, luck in that sort of sense. And basically, the idea just exploded. My dad lent me um, 5,000 rand to get started, um, which is not a lot of money today. And it wasn't that much money then, but we made it work and we kind of just scaled scaled and scaled and scaled and everything we made we, we we put back into the business um with the idea that we wanted to to do something bigger with the money which was travel um and it started in a market in cape town um which was probably the best place to, to start and very lucky that cape town has very a very strong market culture and a very strong um, tourist culture and from there it kind of just exploded um it ran away with us um and yeah, we were able to to just do incredibly well um, that we could then go and travel. You were for, selling it in markets, right next to the mini donuts and the fish and chips across the way. And <laughs> there was obviously exactly, exactly, Capetonians um, in general, and then obviously tourists that visit Cape Town absolutely love those kind of things. Markets and like quirky little gimmicks are. Go hand in hand. Exactly. And exactly. You assess that and realize that there was something that you could do to, 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 to as you say, sell. And you started putting it up online as well. You mentioned um, uh, there was a company in Berlin, I think, that, that expressed interest as well. 
Did it go? It went international, right? Yeah. It went international, yeah. So we went. We started in this tiny, in this you know tiny market. Um, then we expanded to two markets. Then we went online. Then we started selling in South African stores. Um, and then we got interest and from America, from Berlin, um, from Singapore, from China, Australia, and eventually it was an international business which which sold on five or six five I think five continents. Um, and had strategic partners and distributors in kind of all of those places, which were, you know, ordering from us and then selling and ordering from us again. And it was quite, it's quite surreal actually, because it was our first business, um, well, first really big business. And, you know, you, you kind of just learning and going with it and you don't really know what to do. And you just <laughs> go in with the flow and trying yeah. to figure it out as it, as it happens to you. Um, and it was incredible. It was, it was really, really quite incredible. It was, yeah. Yeah, one of the best, oh, best times of my life. Um, you started getting this traction, and then at, at what stage did you decide to uh, make the decision to now take your business remotely and travel? And travel. So that was probably mostly Georgia. Actually, she she's always traveled. She's massive, massive, massive traveler. And we were kind of in. I just moved to Australia. And we was there for about six months and we were like, no, we actually want to, we want to go do something. Can we run this business while we travel? Um, and we decided that we could. Um, so we, we, we prepared everything. We, we put our stuff in a bunch of fulfillment, um, basically warehouses. We just sent stock to fulfillment warehouses in, in South Africa and in Australia. Um, we, didn't take our laptops and we set up some automatic email replies and we said, cool, we're going to run this business from our phones. We're going to deal with everyone um, via email. We're still going to post on social media. I remember writing a blog post, like I think 30 or 40 mini blog posts, like 400 word blog posts on, on photography um, because that was kind of our business. We, we sold these little gadgets, um, but we positioned ourselves as a lifestyle company, which made life better, which enabled you to capture your experiences in a way you couldn't before and therefore share your experiences or, or look back on your memories um, sort of filtered, sure. um, you know, as everyone wants to do. Um, and so a part of that was becoming a bit of quite a bit of thought leaders. Um, and part of that was obviously blog posts and articles. Um, so yeah, we just, we, we prep, we prep for about a month and then we were like, cool, we're going to run it from our phones. And often we didn't have internet for days. Um, and we couldn't reply to customer emails and stuff, but it all worked. We came back after two months mm -hmm. and everything was still working. <laughs> nothing, that, you know, nothing that caught on fire. We didn't have any, any big, um, um, yeah, anything bad happened. Um, so yeah, we just, it's I, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's very yeah. cool to, hear. I can just see your expression as well. It's a, uh, what a time, what a time that, um, I want to, I want to use that sort of energy and just put it into a bit more about what you're currently doing at the moment. <clears throat> and, uh, the, the yeah. caption, which I think was quite profound with me when uh, again, doing some preparation around mini mailer was, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there was something that said, um, to help make, to help make better choices for businesses and humans, um, which is why the company sort of exists. It's there to 
to correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to paraphrase it incorrectly, uh, but it's, it's, it's a completely 100% compostable, compostable uh, plastic alternative to your traditional delivery sleeves, essentially, and packages. Um, yes. How did, yes. how did the idea of Millimela come to be? And, and it went. It's a, an insulin's lasted for, okay. you know, in the 20s. So, how, how, at what stage after did Millimela come in after insulin's? So insulins happened, we traveled for a good while, <laughs> you know, lived in a van, lived in a van in quite a few, on quite a, in quite a few different countries in, in Iceland as well, um, in the UK as well, um, traveled Europe, um, and then um, came back to finish my studies because I dropped out um, of university for insulins. Um, and I started studying again and studying economics and stats, um, did another year and a half of that, um, before I was like, um, I can't be studying, um, studying. I, I love education. And I really appreciate education and I, I'm learning every day. You know, I, I'm continually reading and researching and, um, learning because learning is such a beautiful thing, but the classroom was not was not where where I wanted to be and where I needed to be, um, especially looking at um, Greta Thunberg's actual cause for people to actually take action. Um, and what she said, where um, why should I care about my education if you don't care about my future? You know, in response to people saying why you why aren't you at school yeah. during her Friday school strikes? Um, so then I studied for a year and a half, and I was kind of a bit lost. You know, I'd come from this really big high of, of insolence and traveling really enjoyed the first year of study so i was still on that high and then it suddenly hit me that i don't know what i want to do with my life you know do i want to like what i'm i'm i'm, I'm 20 i'm t at that point i was 26 um what who am i what do i care about what do i want to do um and that's kind of when the whole vipassana thing happened um and vipassana happened pre and it really made me think, what do I care about in life? Um, what is important to me? And what sort of change do I want to make um, in the world? And, you know, Millie Mailer came from the fact that I care deeply about the environment, which is evident by, by my choice to be vegan. Um, and also, but also that I care deeply about people and that I love business. Um, so I needed to kind of combine all that so like i did after watching gaspersi i delved i went on this massive education binge what is really bad in the planet what is destroying our planet um and climate change obviously plastic the plastic crisis obviously another one and i said well can i combine the two of those in the context of south africa because overseas you got all these incredible companies you know making change but in south africa you, you do, you have incredible companies, but on a much smaller scale. And there are, there are a lot of opportunities that people aren't thinking about targeting. It's kind of unseen. And one of those was, was courier delivery sleeves. There are 100 million a year in South Africa, which is an unfam unfathomable amount. 100 million, you know, single-use bags, which are being used and then thrown away, you know, after after one use. And it's it's something that as I learn more and more, I'm just like, how, how did we get to this point in life where we, we, we live this disposable, disposable and throwaway, throwaway lifestyle? How, how can we think it's okay to use something once and throw it away? You know, you, you go back 50 years, that was unthinkable. Like 
you some use something once, throw it away. We that the idea that companies create products um, with planned um, obsolescence, which is is another thing which I just I, I, I can't <laughs> I can't deal with. You know, we companies literally create microwaves or create computers or create shoes with the idea that in a year or in two years or in three years the um the item is going to break at a planned time just after warranty so you have to buy it again um and it's such a short-sighted approach to to anything because it's entirely profit driven and growth and growth driven which i think is one of the big problems with our world at the moment um and it's not thinking about the resources that are required to to make them every time and the strain you're putting on the environment and on the people and you know all that stuff but anyway back to millie mailer so yeah, just this opportunity of retail um, e-commerce in, in South Africa is one of the fastest growing sectors in the country. It's showing really good growth, um, mm. even even as our economy has struggled. Retail, online retail has has kind of remained constant and has carried just carried continually surged. Um, and there was a big plastic problem in retail packaging in, in general is 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 really quite bad. Um, so, yeah, we did some research and we started Millie Mailer to, first of all, just give people an option. Um, people can't really make change if there's nothing to change to. Um, that's something we, 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 we really believe in. Um, so we were like, well, let's give people the option to change. It's then, and to educate. Um, I think that's a, a big problem with businesses as well is, is they make the excuse that they will only change when, when consumers demand them to change. Um, but if you if the business isn't educating and no one's educating the consumer, then how's the consumer ever ever going to know that they need to change or that what they're doing is wrong? Um so Millie Mailer, yeah, it was it was idea to give people the choice to change, the idea to to educate and inform, um and the idea to also, you know, long term maybe act as a model for other businesses to follow that you can actually do business in a way that is kind to the environment, that is kind to people, um, that isn't traditional business where it's it's profit, 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 where it's actually, let's think about the planet first, let's think about people first, let's think about profit yeah. second, um, and actually still thrive. And I yeah. think that's the, that's that's a, the grand that's goal. Really, really powerful. Um, a story which which has stuck with me in our in our first meeting, you mentioned how there was there was this period where you went around trying to educate businesses where you actually physically walked into offices i think it was with a, a, a bag full of can you sorry I'm, i i don't remember it clearly obviously but can you uh, can you explain that one more time <laughs> yeah, just, uh, yeah, yeah just highlight what that actually did to the people that you were speaking to and perhaps how did you use it as your pitching tool as pitching tool, yeah, sure. So I called it Project Cushion. Um, I, I like having yeah. funny, quirky names for things than I do. <laughs> and what what I did was I I took a bunch of our, our bags, uh, our Millie Mailers, and I, I stuffed them with um, old office paper, shredded office paper, and turned them into these big billowing cushions. And inside, I, I wrote a note, and the note was kind of, "Hey, this is who we are." Um, this is this is what our product is, and this is why you sh you should get on board, basically. Um, and I put a sticker on it, like almost like a fake courier sticker, um, and walked into different places. I walked into media houses. I walked into businesses, and 
funnily enough, having a van, I have a, I have a van, um, and walking with a with a bag, I was led into any place I wanted. I was like a, a career a career guy, you know. I was just like, yeah, I'm delivering this. And I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> just just kind of let you through. So secret, if you ever want to get into any place. <laughs> <laughs> exactly and carry a box you know with a stick on it into a into a building um so yeah i, w- I met up with all these businesses um and all these in- important people i did my research um i went onto linkedin first and saw who were the higher ups and where they kind of which offices they worked in whether in the cape town branch whether in the johannesburg branch whatever whatever found the people i needed to to contact so when i went to the reception o- office i said hi i'm delivering this for this person um and almost always that got me into a face-to-face right. situation with someone quite important in the business um and these people were always kind of taken aback like mm. you know who's this guy trying to pitch me this this thing like how did how did he even get get in front of me like this is this is not this is almost like not on like yeah. what's he doing here um but then you know as as i spoke about the product and i with with millie mail i speak with a lot of passion because it's something i'm super passionate about and i think people are, see that and, and, you know, with anything in life, people are drawn to passion. Passion is contagious. Um, so speaking to these people um, in important positions and plastic and this and that and da 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 it got them excited and, and often it led to, um, import, in, led to meetings with, with, with key stakeholders in the business and led to, you know, real action in the business. And amazingly, and I guess unsurprisingly, you got you got some businesses which were so excited and so drawn and so passionate about this, and other businesses who weren't. And oftentimes, it it wasn't mm. the business you, you you thought it was going to be. But then in hindsight, you realize sure. no, that actually makes that makes perfect sense. And um, an example is is Yoko. Yoko is you know South African payment payment. Um, business and i initially approached them thinking they have all these small vendors and this incredible database potentially me approaching them would just give me access to that database so i can actually approach their customers i'm not i wasn't trying to approach yoko but yoko ended up being our first big client um and they 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 worked so fast you know being a small young company with a mindset similar to me and you where it's not this American idea of business of profit, 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 where it's more like a holistic approach, people, the planet, et cetera, et cetera. They changed to plastic-free mm. packaging for all their card machine deliveries, not because their customers were demanding it. Um, not and then, and they're not even a B2C business, you know, they're a business, a business business. So they their customers would probably never demand this. Um, they changed it completely because they wanted to to actually do do yeah. better, which I thought was incredible um and then other companies um that you think are or are are perceived to be the biggest um environmental companies in south africa certain e-commerce stores and stuff that i thought would would jump on board in a second you know they have actually dragged their feet or flat out said no we're not actually interested in going plastic free which you know it's it's amazing how you you know you have all these preconceived ideas and notions now, continually, you just proved you proved wrong and wrong, wrong and wrong time and time again. And I think it's a broader lesson in life that um, you should never walk into a situation thinking you know the outcome, or, or thinking, um, or just or just generalizing yeah. or judging. You know, I think 
but yeah, the the whole project cushion was a massive success, and it led to to most of our current business. And it was yeah. fun, you know. I got to um, meet some I, I cool read people. That there was a term that we yeah, used actually, which is I suppose it's somewhat quite sad for those that were resistant to that sort of change. Um, coined greenwashing, where the, where the where the if I understood it correctly, the appearance was that you know there was a lot of conscious effort and decision making around doing good towards environments, and there are. There are presents about what's going on, yeah. Um, but in the name, I suppose it's it's not quite what they're delivering upon, and they're not quite following what they're saying, uh, which is a bit sad. I mean, it's obviously no, it's not necessary yes. to mention any names, but it's it's obviously a little bit sad to see that there is some form of of hesitation or uncertainty. And you would think, especially in, in our country and in um, today's day and age, there'd be more reception around. Or, tell me more, at least educate us more. What does the bottom line look like if we adjust? Like, what are the kind of conversations that we would be expected to be having? Um, but you, your first hand had the experience of just people dragging their feet and people being resistant in some way, which is a little, bit, which is a little bit sad. Uh, yeah. I, I find it exceptionally, yeah, I, I just find it exceptionally interesting. I think the, the golden thread, which I feel coming throughout our conversation, has just been like there is, there's been a an excessive sense of like awareness that you've had, uh, you know, in your own life. And we haven't even touched on some of your personal background and dealing with China at the age of 10 or 11, I think it was, or for the last 10 or 11 years, uh, we haven't even touched on <laughs> yeah. uh, a variety of like experiences and lessons that you might've had living out of the, out of the van um, and what that led to it, into your, your way of being a way of doing business um, from insulin street to millimeter. Uh, but the, the, what I'm, what I get from the conversation is that there, there's always been this do good. And there's always been, as you were saying, how do you, how much decision or change can you help a person make just through like their education and how much, how much more impact, even if it's yeah. the most minute difference, um, minute change, like can that do? And it's ultimately related into two, business ideas that have been very, very successful for you as well. It's testimony to the kind of work that you do and the kind of perspective that you have on, on business and on, you know, the environment and yourself that uh, it, it only speaks miles. I'm sure it's just going to cascade and it's going to create more and more, uh, hopefully more and more momentum as the, the days go on. I, I um, hope so. Can I hope you, so, yeah. <laughs> can you, Martin, one or two more questions around it's a specific immunometer. What, what's next? What can we expect or where can people uh, expect to see these these cushions uh, if they are there? Like, pop up. When, when can I get, <laughs> get your hands on a set or a pair? So, hopefully consumers will start seeing them you know, after this whole lockdown, e-commerce business will, will, will be back up and running and deliveries will start happening. Um, a lot of those deliveries are hopefully going to be in our bags. We've, we've, we've sold quite a bit. Um, and it's, it's quite nice. We have a yardstick. Um, every, it's, it's, it's incredible actually. Every bag that is sold, every delivery that happens in our bag is one less plastic bag that's actually being used and produced. And it's, it's it's incredible and it's also every every bag that's delivered contributes to the you know planting of a tree as well so um but so after this whole lockdown yeah. you, sh you should start seeing them being delivered um which is super exciting um by yoko by small businesses throughout south africa then obviously um the next for millie mailer um 
I think we've we've already started. Okay. We're about to launch a bubble wrap alternative. Um, bubble wrap is also a massive, a massive issue. Um, so it's a plastic-free bubble wrap alternative. Um, hopefully, business start, start using that in tandem with our mailers, which I'm super excited about. Um, yeah. So you know, I haven't actually asked you is what is what is it made of? How is it 100 bio? There's a difference between. Yeah, and the last you you correct me last biodegradable versus compostable. What what are your uh, products made of? Yes. So first of all, biodegradable, compostable. Compostable is basically a subset of biodegradable. Biodegradable is it will eventually biodegrade in CO two, water, and organic matter. Um, compostable is it will degrade into those elements, but within a specified um, time frame. And in specified conditions. So our bags are home compostable, which means six months in your back garden, they're going to disappear into water, carbon dioxide, and um, some organic matter, which can then be eaten by earthworms, be put in your compost heap, and you can actually grow food with that kind of compost. And it's not not bad for you or toxic at all. Our bags are a special polymer blend, um, and the blend is what gives us its um, compostability. It's PLA which is polylactic acid made from corn, corn starch, and this um, another polymer called B- PBAT. Yeah. I don't know how to pronounce its full name. It's yeah. an insane, insanely long name. And basically, it acts as a catalyst for the compostability. So it kind of allows the PLA, which is, a, which is made from corn or agricultural waste, it allows this PLA to um, break down. It's almost like a, um, it excites the, the kind of, the the polymer or molecular um, chains and enables them to kind of it, it weakens them and enables then the microorganisms the bacteria and the kind of sun and moisture mm. to kind of break break it down further. simple so yeah that's what it's made out of sounds simple it's a couple of acronyms. yeah simple like exactly possible possible products exactly i'm excited to see the the coming of the bubble wrap as well um, you're going to have to start sharing. I will certainly, as soon as I get my hands on, I will make sure to circulate it around all forms of networks that I have. So don't you worry. I'll be a big supporter of you there. Um, Fantastic. Trent, there's a hell of a lot more I want to bring into and you. a hell of a lot more I want to, to have a conversation around, which I think we're going to have to come back to um, at, at some stage. But this, uh, this gave us okay. a great introduction <laughs> to a bit more about yeah. you, um, which, as you might know, I am obsessed about the individual and how someone can take how someone can take their experiential learning. So what you've actually physically gone through and the emotion and experiences of a certain period in your life and turn it into a form of mastery. It's not that you are the sensei of, of, of what you're doing. And I'm sure you'll, you'll be the first to say you don't Far know. Far from it, it yeah. You to it a few times that you're continually, like, if you have expectations, you'll continue just being proven wrong. Um, and I really, really, really enjoyed yeah. just understanding a bit more about your way of thinking and your processing. Uh, but we're going to have to come back for a second or two to unpack a bit more of your experiences around business and um, especially the <laughs> experiences around living in a van for two to three years, which is on my bucket list at some stage. I don't know if yes. you can do that around Cape Town. I might be able to <laughs> sort of make a plan, but it doesn't have the same romance. <laughs> 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 no, no, it doesn't. <laughs> you got yeah, it in America. That's kind of where it all started, right? <laughs> yeah, it's just, there's a lot for us to still talk about. So, 
Uh, we would have to come back and uh, reschedule one of those. But I want to thank you for your time um, so far this morning. And uh, we'll definitely yeah, thanks for having me. And I'll shoot yeah. you a few a few times for us to schedule an, another chat, and we'll get you just a volume two rolling out as soon as possible. Uh, but, uh, I wish you well on this uh, fantastic further, and <laughs> yeah, we'll connect again very soon, very very soon. Fantastic! Thanks so much, Matt. I, I really appreciate the time and all of this, and it's been so so, so nice chatting to you. Um, your questions are always so always make <laughs> me think. Yeah, um, and I love. Thanks that. very much, James. Chat Hey guys, Matt here again, just before you run off. Thank you for lending me your ears and tuning in once again. I hope that you enjoyed the conversation. And of course, I would love to hear any sort of feedback you might have. You can do so through all forms of social media, really. I've probably spammed enough about that. Or through my email, which is outcomepodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you and even to say hello. Uh, For those that have any advice on long distance recording, please feel free to share and send through a few links as well. I am an open book and am willing to learn. Uh, As usual, if you have any other news, please pass it through. And if you haven't yet subscribed or shared the podcast via the very many links that you could potentially find it on, I encourage you to do so too. Uh, Looking forward to hearing from you. And until then, cheers.